Voice of Fintech. Welcome to Voice of Fintech, a podcast mapping out the Swiss and global fintech scene, connecting fintech enthusiasts with startups, incubators, accelerators, business angels and VCs, and incumbents interested in partnerships. Voice of Fintech will help you navigate the fintech ecosystem. Here you can listen to the startup founder stories, what investors and incumbents are looking for when dealing with startups, and find out more about resources provided by incubators and accelerators. My name is Rudy Fallad and I'll be hosting this podcast. Hello and welcome to Voice of Fintech podcast. We're going to talk today to Michelle Tran from New York. We're going to talk about Wealthtech in America. We're going to talk about New York City fintech women. I'm really uh, looking forward to hear from Michelle what's going on in terms of gender diversity in the US, but also in terms of wealth and technology, wealth management, etc. Is there something finally shaping up as a as a leading platform or solution, what are the pain points, all of this and above. Welcome, Michelle. How are you today? Thank you so much for having me. Really excited to to chat with you today on everything from wealth tech trends to what we're doing at NYC FinTech Women, which is really important as well. Wonderful. So thank you for making the time in the middle of the summer. Let's see how it goes for the rest of the year, right? It's been quite crazy weather as we are getting used to every year. First of all, I always like to start with this, with the backstory. How did you get to do what you do today? But even more importantly, why? It's a great question. So my background, I think, is, is a very kind of typical background, right? Out of college, I decided to go into financial services. I'm a first generation um, from an immigrant family that migrated from Vietnam to the U.S. And so for me, it was, what's that traditional track I need to take? So financial services, very stable, very easy. I joined BlackRock for a number of years. I was very fortunate at BlackRock to, to do a global tour. I lived everywhere from San Francisco to Hong Kong to New York. But what really got me started within this fintech space and wealth tech space was an opportunity to lead our strategy and efforts in the fintech strategy um, and coverage at BlackRock. And so this was back in, say, 2014 when it was... Every news headline that you heard was about robo-advisors and how these robots were going to take over wealth management. Obviously, that hasn't happened. But from a BlackRock perspective, was really interested in, in a couple different questions. And what they wanted to solve was, one, how are these firms, these new fintechs, using more traditional products that BlackRock, BlackRock offers? And then also, is there an opportunity to better engage in this space? And that's really where I got my start within fintech. And, and from there, I just really grew to love the fact that technology is really powering all this innovation and access for people to, to financial services. You think about everything from Robinhood democratizing and providing access to trading, to all the different robo-advisors giving better access to investing, to the various different platforms that from a lending space, it goes on and on. But I think from a, a fintech standpoint, it's it's been a wonderful, say, five or so years where we've really heightened the time and attention that fintech has had and its impact on the world. So that's really how I got started. Once I got that bug, I think I kept on looking for the most innovative pro- product out there. So worked at Apex, which is 
backbone behind a lot of these robo-advisors and digital brokers. I joined recently a startup uh, a couple of years ago called Harness Wealth, which is a marketplace in wealth in the wealth tech space. And so there's a lot of really interesting products out there from a, a wealth perspective that's really changing how people invest and how people interact with money. Exactly. I'd like to hear a lot more about this because Switzerland, it's a home to wealth management. And sometimes there are wealth wealth tech solutions that are amazing that are popping up. But let's hear what's going on in other markets as well, right? And as you mentioned, Harness Wealth, let's take that as an example. So what is that venture and how does it work? The problem that Harness Wealth saw in the marketplace was you have a lot of these, you have these these people who are receiving their wealth in, in different ways in terms of they are getting equity compensation, they're finding liquidity events. So you think the use case of, hey, I'm an early engineer at Lyft, and then Lyft goes through an IPO. All of a sudden, I'm sitting on millions of dollars, but I don't quite know what I should do from a tax perspective or an investing perspective. Maybe I don't want to use my father's advisor. Maybe I want to use someone that knows the situation I'm going through. And so what Harness is really trying to solve is, hey, there's so many different conversations that you need to have about your wealth. How do we provide you with the right type of experts? to talk to you about that and to help you manage your wealth. And so I joined Harness in 2018 as head of business development. And what Harness really is, it's a marketplace. And so for someone who is that example of that early engineer at Lyft, they probably don't know who to go to for wealth management advice. They don't know, you know which CPA is best to handle their situation. In the US, it's taxes is a big hit on your income. So it can be as you know high as 40, 50% at times. And so you really want to have a good CPA who can help you manage your taxes because you don't want to give all that money away to the government. And also from a a protection standpoint, what type of legal documents do you need? What type of legal structures do you need to really protect yourself from a wealth perspective? So the idea of bringing a family office approach and where Harness is really playing a role is identifying good advisors in that marketplace to help these people. And so that's really what Harness built over time was a really strong marketplace of wealth managers, CPAs, attorneys to really help those individuals through their wealth journey because they're, they're new at it and they don't know financial services very well. And so Harness has really come out and, and done a lot of really interesting things in terms of providing that help that, that this population needs. All right. It sounds wonderful. On the other hand, look, to scale, you need to productize your services, right? And uh, it sounds like you're building a marketplace for those services now, in the good old days, marketplace for services has been quite challenging, right? It's different than buying goods and, and physical standardized goods. So how do you let some advisors to be part of your platform and how do you match them then with your target clients so that it's efficient, right? You don't want to just be a directory and then people need to call each other or what have you. So. Exactly. How does that matching process work? Yeah, so there's there's a lot that goes into it from a, a due diligence standpoint. And so when you think about good advisors, like what does that mean? What's the definition of a good advisor? There's a lot of different things that Harness looks at or they require all advisors to go through a due diligence process. So something around over 120 questions that we ask of advisors when they are interested in, in joining Harness Wall. It's everything from size of firm to investment strategies, really getting to understand who is this firm, what type of clients do they work with, what's their history, et cetera. 
So there is a full process. So not any advisor can join. So very specific in terms of what type of advisors are, are able to join the platform. So that's a big part of it, right, is making sure that there is a very high quality curated list of advisors. The second piece of that question is how do you ensure that you are identifying the right advisors for that right of client. And that's somewhat of the, the secret sauce of what Harness does in terms of an algorithmic approach, really understanding clients through data and then using that data to really match them to who the right advisor. The belief at Harness is really at the end of the day, there is it's a mix between good use of technology, but also that human interaction is important. So understanding while technology can get you really far in that journey, you still do need to have a phone call with your advisor because this is a this is a trusted relationship. You're about to entrust someone with a lot of your wealth. So you want to make sure that there's one, credible people, two, you're aligned on values, you're aligned on strategy, and you want to have a connection there because you, you hope these are going to be lifelong relationships or at least a long time. So there is definitely the kind of the use, the use of technology and identifying the right mix. Great. So basically, I guess you use AI to help the, your advisors to provide insight or provide advice as well in some way or in the matching process, right? But can you leave the reviews as well for the advisors there, like people do on Trustpilot or when they're looking for a doctor in some countries, you can also search what people are, what are people saying about the doctor that you want to see? It's not an open directory. There are definitely some other platforms that are more open directory-esque where you can dig through and and put in filters to find an advisor. There's Smart Asset in the space, there's Zoe Financial, there's Wealthminder, but the, the Harness approach is different. The Harness approach is, well, let's understand who you are as an individual and then do some specific pairings that way. All right, understood. And uh, you mentioned that your target clients are the tech people who maybe came to new wealth. Any other categories or segments that you're focusing on for now? Well, you can just think of the clients who are, these are individuals who generally have more complexity in their wealth journey. So it's not someone in the US, let's just say have a more simplified situation, can use TurboTax or they can use a robo-advisor. These are people who say, hey, I have, I have equity in 10 different companies. I might be a VC partner. I might own two or three homes, whatever it is. You need someone really to help you. And I don't have the, the time or the expertise to do it myself. I think about me personally, right? Like I am... We have a lot of complexity in our lives. We have a couple kids, we have home ownership, we have equity holdings, we have a number of different income streams. And so for me to spend the time is not a good use of my own time. I'm not very good at it either. So for me, it's really making sure I, I can find someone who knows exactly what they're doing to help me through that journey. I can think about my wealth in a smarter way. And so that's really the type of client. And I, and I, Sorry, I, I should preface too, but I my role currently at Harness is that I'm advising with them. So I'm an advisor with Harness when it comes to everything that's business development. Great. And so the complexity is, is one thing. Sometimes when the banks or you know wealth managers are looking at the clients, they're also looking at the size of the wealth that they bring so that it's worthwhile for them to spend time on them. So is that also a factor here or it's a, it's the complexity and the type of the client or... Do they have to bring in, you know, X million so that they can be part of your platform? It can be sometimes. It depends on the advisor. I think that's the problem with a lot of the big banks and the big wirehouses like the Morgan Stanleys yeah. and the Merrill Lynch's is like they want someone who's already wealthy to walk through the door because that's a better revenue stream for them. And that's not always the case, especially as you think about the last 10 years. 
how are people getting paid and how are people driving wealth? Like you see all these IPOs. It's been a very frothy IPO market. You have Blend, you have Coinbase, you have Robinhood. Everybody's IPOing or they're going public via SPAC. And these are different scenarios where it's not just you're you're earning money and becoming wealthy and saving. It's you have you have all these different scenarios. Um, you know the wealth is coming in from different places. And so for I think a lot of the the bigger banks and a lot of the bigger wealth managers, for them they don't necessarily have the time and attention or the need to to let's just say bet on some of these individuals or these employees. But we know through trends that this is how people are gaining their wealth these days, right? Anyone that's millennial and lower or younger are gaining their wealth through equity compensation, most likely. So it's it's a, a much different market. And I'd be really interested to see, too, how some of these traditional institutions evolve to capture their interest. And you're seeing them do it now. They're launching digital versions of themselves to get people in the door. So they become perhaps a lifelong client or become a client later down the line. Right. Now, when we take a step back and look at different fintech industry verticals, right? And you would probably see that people started to be interested in payments or in lending years ago. And then maybe the wealth tech came along and rec tech and other verticals. So how do you see the wealth tech adoption versus other fintech verticals in the U.S.? Wealth tech is really interesting. So there's, I think there's, there's different channels of wealth tech. So there's the retail channel of wealth tech, where I say most of the, where you see the headlines in the news in terms of it's a direct to consumer product, it's a retail product, it's a, it's a product being used by the public. So think about the Robin Hoods, the wealth fronts, those splashy stories in terms of their fundraising and, and how they're doing, I think really captures the majority of the time and attention in the public space. I would say the wealth tech space, when you look at the wealth management and advisory space, continues to grow. And there's been a lot of changes in the past year, too. So this is B2B solutions where you're building out wealth technologies for advisors and for wealth management. And it's becoming, I think, a more interesting marketplace where you have so many different fintechs that are approaching investment management that are doing kind of special ESG or direct investing platforms. You have wealth tech platforms that are facilitating the lending piece, right? When you have private clients, they still want loans and commercial product. So how do you facilitate that in a more digital way? So I do think there's there's still a lot of growth that is there for the B2B wealth tech space. I mean, you see this with JP Morgan just bought OpenInvest, and that's a direct indexing ESG platform. Vise, which is a portfolio management platform, raising, I think, something over $100 million in the last year and a half or so. And so there's definitely a lot of capital. But what you're also seeing in the past year is a lot of consolidation and a lot of acquisition and changes. And so from a B2B standpoint, you have some firms that are being swallowed up by the bigger entities because they all know they need to be in this space. So I think it's a, it's a, it's a changing market. It's a good market. It's really interesting to see a lot of founders still tackle the B2B wealth management space because there's there's still so much opportunity there, right? Everyone wants someone of the piece of the pie. And so I think the next frontier when it comes to wealth management, though, is going to be digital currency. And what are the right kind of what are the fintech platforms that are being created right now to help advisors and wealth management think about crypto? And that's everything from Hey, how do you think about crypto and an investment standpoint? Are they building grayscale? Is building ETFs for crypto? How is that being consumed by advisors? How do you manage crypto against all other assets? Is it an alternative asset? Is it should it be some part of someone's core portfolio? 
how do you manage crypto from a tax perspective, right? That's a really interesting question is thinking about crypto from tax solutions. So you see TaxBit, which is, it's not necessarily wealth tech, but it's a crypto tax management tool that can be used by financial advisors. They just raised a crazy series A of 100 million. And I think there's, there's still a lot of focus on traditional wealth tech, fintech platforms. But I think crypto is really going to be somewhat of the next frontier when you think about how wealth management is consuming technology. Yeah, great to hear about all these well tech possibilities. And I like to talk about B2B a lot because I think it's a little bit under the radar, right? When you just yeah. open up the paper. Well, if you if you do open up a paper these days, but but still. And then crypto digital assets, of course, becoming more and more mainstream even by some of the big incumbents who were very resistant earlier on, right? Larry Fink, who says, I'm not touching crypto. But then he has multiple teams working on figuring out how do you bring it into, into their conversation, into their investments. I think the other story here, though, too, just to think a little bit more about cryptocurrency in wealth management is regulation. So regulation is really going to lead how advisors consume and, and use crypto. So I think we're, we're getting there. It's still early days. But once regulation really opens up, to cryptocurrency, I think you're going to see all advisors jump in. And so which technology is going to be ready for these advisors? Yeah, let's see. Let's also change the tack because I know you're, you have many, many activities, right? And you're also the founder of New York City Fintech Women. And I'd like to know what led you to set it up and what are your key activities? Yeah, one of the, as, as I was going into or st- starting my journey in fintech at BlackRock, and then went to Apex. One thing that I continued to realize was that it was really hard to build the right network. And as everybody knows, you need to have the right people in your corner and the right network, or what we call the personal board, and really to be able to capture any opportunities and to get ahead. I was going to a ton of, let's just say, women in tech events, and I had to go find that one fintech person. It's changed nowadays, but kind of like five years ago, that's what the story was. Or I was going to a ton of fintech events and it was finding the 10 females in the crowd. And so for me, I built or started NYC Fintech Women just out of the personal desire to build that network and also needed that support. I was one day I was in a meeting and I was literally one of 10 females, which happens a lot all the time. I was leading the conversation and really just dawned on me. It was like, why are there not more women here? We're having a very interesting fintech conversation, there should be definitely more females at the table. So it really started on in New York City. I, I put up a meetup and 16 women met up on a, on a rainy Tuesday at a Mexican bar in the middle of Flatiron, which is now a lot of people dub Silicon Alley. And so we met in at this bar and, and that's really where we started. I met my co-founder, Sasha Pilch there, and she was really equally as passionate about building a network. And so we are Went from 16 women on a rainy Tuesday to now over 7,000 women in the U.S. and internationally as well. Our mission is to connect, empower, and promote women in fintech. So those three action items are really important, that connection, that empower, and that promotion piece. For me, a lot of what's important is making sure that women have a platform and women have a voice to talk about themselves. Because if you're not talking about themselves, you're not working on your brand, your reputation, and people don't know about you. And that's really important. And we also want to use and show amazing, amazing women doing amazing thing in this, things in the fintech space to really help motivate and to show um, others that they're the success stories. And so we offer everything from networking events to 
panels. We work a lot with conferences to making sure that one, they have, they, they're eyeing 50% women on their panels. And they also have a good roster of, of women speakers who are subject matter experts. And we also do a lot of promotion pieces. And we have our, our FinTech Female Friday. So every Friday we feature an amazing woman who is in the FinTech space. We're really uh, passionate about diversity too. So everything from racial diversity to level diversity to geographic diversity to role diversity. So it's, it's not just your CEO, but it's everyone from your, your marketing person to your CTO to the, your compliance. So you're showing a lot of different roles within fintech and a lot of different levels. And so there's we're really excited to be out there in the marketplace. And it's just been wonderful to hear all the stories from people about how it's had an impact on their lives. Great stuff. Well, obviously, you've had lots of conversations with your members and with, with, with other stakeholders. So what do you think are the main issues that you see on the fintech scene in the US in terms of diversity? What I'd like to hear is more when the issues start happening and how could we actually fix this? Yeah, and I think the issues start from the very beginning, right? Like it's access. How do you make sure you are, when you're hiring, you have a viewpoint in getting women in seat? And that's at all levels, from junior levels all the way to executives. A lot of those kind of founder tables or the About Us pages on, on these fintech websites, you'll see that they still tend to be very male heavy. So it's making sure you're very intentional about your hire. Hey, if I'm looking for a CTO, focus on finding a female CTO. I think that's really important. Like You do have to be extremely intentional. I think the other big piece, though, is fundraising. It's, it's pretty, let's say it's pretty sad, the fundraising amount that goes to, to female founders. In 2019, it was 3% of all institutional money raised went to female founders. In 2020, it actually went down. It went down to under 2%. It's, it's now trending on its way back up, but that's still sub 5%, which is, which is crazy. We're half of the population, we should get at least half the money. And so what I really love is seeing all these different VCs come out and really focus intentionally on giving money to female founders or female-led teams. And that's the Venture Collective is very focused on that. You have the FinTech Studios very focused on that. And they're not just saying it too. They're, it's not performative. They're actually giving money to these to female founders. And we just did a feature over the past month to highlight all the female founders that just raised money. It was everything from Marstone to, to Morty. They've all female-led firms, female founders who've raised uh, money in the past couple months, which is fantastic to see. Yeah, you're absolutely right. These numbers are crazy, right? Because it's not like uh, even in the business school, you only have 5% women, right? I actually heard that in the upcoming Wharton MBA class, first time ever, there will be a majority population in the in the class. But it's always been close enough, right, to 50-50. So yeah. there are definitely some issues already at the educational level and transition to hiring, as you said, when, when people want to go to fintech and, and become an entrepreneur. You're also the founder member of Dreamers and Doers. So what is that and what is your mission and what are your activities there? Yeah, so Dreamers and Doers is a fantastic organization. It, it's, it was started by this wonderful woman, Geshe, and she had, create, had this idea to create a really strong network. And it's not fintech only, it's all different industries. But she's created this great team and, and her, her mission is really similar to our mission, where it is, how do you provide all these opportunities and access to women to elevate their voice? 
And so she's been fantastic in doing things like making sure she works with the likes of Forbes and Fortune and CNBC to give people bylines and to get them featured on news stories. And so as a a member of Dreamers and Doers, that's what we have access to. We have access to all these different platforms where we can be thought leaders. And they, she continues to, to plug us for speaking engagements and continues to plug us for any type of articles or just to get that voice out there. So it's been a really great community to be a part of. It's something that I joined when they were just starting off and have really utilized a lot of their, their people and their resources. And I think it's also for me, because I do so much in the fintech space, it's really nice to also have a community that's not just fintech, because I think I learn a lot from it too. You can get a little bit of siloed when you're in only in one industry. So you having that diversity is really nice. Yeah, exactly. So it sounds like you are incredibly busy, right? So if you ever have a vacation or a moment to, for yourself, um, what would be the book that you would take with you? It's a great question. I am extremely busy. want to normalize that that I also have children. So they keep me 100% busy. If I was to take any book, here's, there's a book that I've been trying to finish for the past year. And it's only because I've been so busy, I haven't been able to finish. Michelle Obama's Becoming, I am almost done with. And so I just need an extra 30 minutes on a beach in order to finish it. But I've loved her story thus far. She's just a, a hero of mine. And so the once I can finish that, I will be very happy. Great. So from Michelle to Michelle, of course. (laughs) All right. Just to wrap up, what's the best way to reach out and find out more about what you do and who would be the most relevant to to reach out for you? You can find me on NYC Fintech Women, uh, my email address there, or find me on LinkedIn. I would love to connect with any woman who either wants to be in fintech or get started in fintech. And and this is at all levels because I want to be a, a connector and to help people build their personal brand and personal network. It's so important because going back to the question of how do you get more women in fintech, it's all about that network piece. There's a reason why you don't have a lot of senior female leaders is because the founders tend to look at their network and their network tends to look like them. How do you ensure that you get more people involved? And so we'd love to to talk to anyone that's interested in, in the fintech space. I'm personally look, consulting with a number of firms right now. So I think there's a lot of opportunities across many different sub fintech industries for, for women who are looking to take on big roles. So let me know if you're interested in it, and I'm happy to, to help. Great stuff. I always say there is a selfish argument to this when people are looking for co-founders that they should have different co-founders from themselves, right? Because they're not building a business for themselves. They're building it for other people. So it's impossible to have copycat kind of friends around you and uh, be successful, I think. My favorite calls is from male founders who call me and say, hey, I want to bring on a female co-founder. I don't have anybody in my network. Can you introduce me to you know some amazing woman? And absolutely hands down. And that's that's what I love to hear is that it's not just the females that are changing the game, but the men are also being intentional and recognizing the fact that they need to, to bring in diversity onto their team to build a better product. Absolutely. So good luck to New York fintech women, dreamers and doers, and also Harness Wealth, of course, and, your, and yourself, Michelle. Thank you very much. Great. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to Voice of Fintech podcast. If you haven't already, check out also voiceoffintech.com 
where you will find all the episodes and additional resources related to the podcast. You can also subscribe to Voice of Fintech on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or any other podcast app that you like. If you have any suggestions on the topics or guests, or how to make this podcast better for you, please email us at info at Happy to hear from you. Thank you.